and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am so excited about this interview because as you'll hear, our next guest is absolutely living in his passion. And when you're living in your passion, it overflows and it's contagious to everyone around you. I left this interview inspired, excited, motivated, and ready to conquer the world. And I I believe you will too. So our next guest is not your average designer. He's a men's style expert who goes against the grain and values authenticity. He has been working professionally in fashion for over five years and built his first line designing for celebrities, athletes, and top entrepreneurs. He has since decided to bring his satirical eye for menswear to the modern gentleman through his lifestyle line, Bespoke. He lives in Chicago, Illinois, and as you'll hear in the interview, is Brandon's cousin. So one thing he mentions is that he was a punk kid living in a small town who decided to go big instead of staying stuck. And what's so cool for me is that I knew him when he was that punk kid. And so from the outside, I've got to see him grow and build his company, build his brand, and build himself. And it's been really special to hear the ins and outs of how he did it. So without further ado, please welcome Josh Kircher to the Dreamcast. Denise, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. We've talked about it for a long time, and here we are. All right, here we are. Well, when people think of an epitomous label, a fashion wear in Chicago, they may have a certain picture in their mind. But I know it didn't necessarily start off at like roses and success and stage and all of that. So let's take our listeners back to the beginning and share a little bit about your story. Yeah, it was most definitely not this way all the time. And not to say that it not, now is not still a struggle too. That's kind of part of being an entrepreneur and going out on your own. So it's always important to say, but but yeah, if it's funny when I think back to when I first got into this or if we rewind way away from the beginning and kind of start to talk about like why this even happened in the first place. I grew up in a really small town, a farm town. I mean, literally there was a day during the year that kids would drive a tractor to school. That was a day. That was an official day that we had. I didn't have one. So I didn't really fit in in the, in the normal context of what everyone else was doing there. Uh, but the point of that is that, you know, I grew up somewhere where fashion, it wasn't a thing. You know, it wasn't a thing that really people got into in a big, in a big way, uh, let alone something that people thought about as a career that they could do later. And so that wasn't necessarily in my vision from the beginning. Fashion didn't come until later. In fact, uh, school, I was a jock. I did a lot of sports, just hung out, tried to flirt with girls, you know, like just typical stuff. And what I didn't do though, is I didn't do great with my grades. I feel like I had really good test scores, but when it came time to like really putting in the work, I didn't have a good understanding of what it took to actually get to college. When I graduated uh, high school, I started to apply to these big schools 
and I had no idea. I'm applying to Michigan. I grew up in, in Michigan, just outside of uh, Ann Arbor. So I'm applying to University of Michigan in these schools that, that no one gets into. And I'm getting a rejection letter like, huh, it's funny. Um, I just didn't get it, you know. And so then I said, fine, whatever, I'll do community college. And so I went to a local community college. I lasted maybe three classes. I mean, I paid all the fees, did all the stuff, thought that I was going to do it. I literally lasted maybe three classes. And you know what? I'm way smarter than these guys. I'm just going to try something else. I think I can go make money. Uh, And so that's what I said that I would do. And I probably held 10 jobs or so in the next four years. I just fell on my face so many different times. And I often tell people that I've failed way more than I've ever succeeded right now. And that's, you know, with each of those things comes a learning opportunity. We hear people say that all the time, but it is so true. You can't be afraid to just go do things. And fortunately, but unfortunately for me, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to college. I didn't have this training of what it was like to go be a good employee to work for someone else. All I knew was that I thought that I could do it. And even though I couldn't, you know, I had a lot to learn. I was falling on my face. I racked up debt. I had cars repossessed. I mean, I really did things wrong those first few years out of high school and it sucked. I got into a pretty low point where I just didn't know who I was or what I was supposed to do. I was a little depressed about the situation. And then I finally was like, okay, something's got to give. I got to try something else. And I ended up uh, having my dad uh, recommend that I check out car sales. Uh, He had been in automotive industry for a long time. It was good for him. I thought, you know, what the hell? Let's try it. And so I interview with a place that was a luxury dealership. They had a Toyota side and a Lexus side, but like this was a big dealer in the state of Michigan. And I go and I meet with these guys and, you know, like I go in, I'm a punk kid, uh, but I'm pretty, I still have my confidence. And so I'm going in and I'm telling my stories and I'm doing the interview. And this is a young guy that I'm interviewing with. And uh, he said, uh, you know, dude, I think you have something, but you look like crap. And so I laughed. I was like, okay, what's that mean? Like, what's next? What do we do? And so he's like, you just need, show me that you can clean up basically. And this was at the time I had, my hair had recently been completely bleached because uh, Holly, my girlfriend at the time, my now wife and I had gone to Mexico for the first time and I just bleached it like at home DIY kit. This is when Eminem was everything. And I was probably rapping at the time as well, whatever, you know, everything was wrong, but my hair started to grow out. My hair is really curly. And so I had these like roots of curls, but then this like damaged bleach at the top and it was long and it was, I was a strange looking human, I feel like, but I went into this interview and I think I did pretty good. And they say, I think you got something. It's time to get cleaned up though. So I run to the mall, which is maybe 30 minutes away. I go into express. I put on like a button down shirt, get some pants. I literally get a haircut right away. I go back. I knock on a door of a closed door meeting that they're in. And they look back like, who the hell is doing this? And I open the door. I'm like, how's this? And they laughed and they're like, see you Monday. And so they gave me a job to get me started. What I didn't realize at the time was that the guys that I was uh, knocked on the door and interrupted were the sales manager that interviewed me, the general manager of the dealership, and then the dealer principal, the guy that owned the dealership. So like, I was this dumb kid that went in and opened a door for a closed door meeting to these guys who have like millions of dollars. So big, dumb idiot, but I got the job. And so I start, but here's what happened, which was so interesting. I went through my training. I could always speak and and communicate with people. So that was great. I was now in a role where I could continue to do that. 
But now I'm talking with people who are buying things like uh, Alexis. And if you're buying Alexis, there's a good chance that you've got your, you know what together. And these people have families, they've got money and they're, they're buying these cars. And I thought it was interesting that they were paying attention to me and that they were listening to me. And I thought, what's changed? And really when I thought about it, the only thing that was any different for me, for who I was, was the way that I looked. I always liked style in a way, but I liked hip hop style. Now all of a sudden I had adopted something, a completely new way of dressing up like, like an adult, like a man. And it had the ability to change those people's perception of who I was. They didn't see me as a punk kid like I seen myself. They saw me as someone who had their stuff together as well, just like they did. And that was so powerful to me. And I really, at that point, that was a, a pivotal moment for me where I took that kind of fashion, that kind of style, and kind of adopted it as a hobby. And I really bought into what it was to dress like that and, and really, really got kind of deep into the game, if you will, um, over the next seven or eight years that I did car sales and, and fashion became a big part of who I was and how I identified. And it, it raised my confidence. And um, I really started to get into self-improvement and reading and doing everything I could, soaking everything up I could that helped me figure out how to be who it was that I was supposed to be, how to learn how to continue to get better. And yeah, and so what happened then eventually that that long career, I adopt fashion, eventually I save up a little bit of money and I decide I want to do something. I want to try something that is in the world of these entrepreneurs that I'm reading about, right? And so at the time, real estate was one of the biggest things that I was looking into. Funny enough, actually, one of the people that I had seen transition from an automotive sales trainer, uh, the biggest one there was back in the day was Grant Cardone. This is when I was doing the sales trainings and stuff. And I used to listen to that. And Grant had started to transition into real estate and started to make 10 times as much money as he was in car sales. And so I kind of followed that journey of him. And it led me along the same path to eventually try uh, real estate. Holly and I ended up doing uh, home flips and renovations for two years in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we were living at the time. And that was the two years of doing that before we got into fashion. Fast forward a few years later, I'm jumping around a bit here. I apologize. But just this past summer, I was uh, with a buddy of mine who's another podcaster, Lewis Howes, and we were having a dinner for a friend's charity event in Miami. And he said, one of my buddies is going to come meet up with us. And I said, oh, nice. Uh, who is it? And Lewis runs with an amazing circle. He's on Ellen and he's really doing amazing things. He's buddies with Scooter Braun, uh, who's Justin Bieber's manager and Vic Menza, a great Chicago rapper out of here that I know. But his friend that came to dinner was Grant Cardone. And I basically like tried to hold it in. I was like, I'm sorry, wait a second. Did you like Grant Cardone? And at this time, Grant's worth three quarters of a, of a billion dollars, like he's crushing and now he's a big internet personality. And he was the nicest dude. He was so incredible. And what I loved about Grant is that so so many parts of his stories paralleled my own, the way that he felt about what he was doing before and kind of transitioning and all this stuff. So anyways, it's funny how like your world can come 360. Moving back to real estate, what ends up happening is we do these flips and stuff and we make a little bit of money. And now something is really pulling at me. I say, you know what, this isn't enough. I'm not, I'm not, integrating myself into any communities. I feel like there's no culture around me. We made a little bit of money with this, but I, but I want to be around people. and I want to be in a city and say, well, let's go into business. And so we moved to Chicago, sight unseen. We don't know anybody. And we say, well, let's just go into business out there. It's close enough that if we fall on our, on our butts, we can run back to mom, you know, crying 
run home and someone will take care of us. But we do that and uh, we get there and we partner with another group of people who wanted to go into fashion as well. And the first year and a half that we were in Chicago, uh, we didn't want to spend any of the money that we had like saved. We invested a, a large portion, but then we ended up living in the basement of a salon. And I don't mean a basement apartment. What I mean is that we had to walk in from the street level of the salon, wave to the stylist as you walk past them with their clients randomly, who's this guy walking in, go past the reception desk and down into a back door into the stairs into what is literally just their basement. No windows, concrete floor. Um, There was a shower, a toilet, and a refrigerator and a sink. That was our apartment for a year and a half. Somehow my wife is still with me. She put up with me through all of that stuff, which is insane. Um, she'll tell you just as I will, like that sucked. But what was exciting though, is that we were, we were doing the thing that we wanted to do, right? We were in a new city. We were doing the thing that we exactly said that we were going to do. Everything was exciting at that moment. We were meeting people um, and things were just starting to happen. So although it was scary, we just, we were taking messy action, which I know that you're a big fan of yourself. Um, and then we did that with our partners for a few years, eventually um, wanted to get into truly designing uh, a collection and split off on my own, which has now been two and a half years. And now uh, I'm sitting here recording this interview from our retail store, our ground floor retail store in Chicago, which we're just finishing uh, building out right now. So yeah. Amazing. Amazing story. And I know yeah. we'll get into the success and what you currently do now, but one of the pieces of your story that I truly love is that you do have a strong why. Pa- fashion really did kind of remake you in a sense, because what you wore impacted how others viewed you, which then also impacted yeah. how you viewed yourself. So tell us a little bit about how your self-image changed throughout those years and what you did to work on that. Good question. So the biggest thing, like I said, is realizing for me early on that clothing was more than clothing. It was a tool, right? I kind of seen it firsthand how it could be used as a tool to um, let me belong in a new room. And I think I've told that people, I've said this often now over the past couple of years, as people have asked me for my opinion on what is style and what does it mean and what's your advice? And I I say to realize that clothing is one of the great uh, neutralizers of the world, uh, where if you want to go exist or walk into any room in the world, if you're dressed the right way, you probably can, uh, which is an incredible thing. You know, context is everything when you're getting dressed as well. You know, like if I wanted to go walk into a room full of a bunch of celebrities, if I know how to dress for that room, I can walk in and if I'm confident, I can exist there. And that's an amazing thing. But back to how that kind of helped me and uh, in my own image, I think just, um, I think finding something that could be a tool like clothing kind of helped boost my confidence on a, on a, on a different kind of level that I had ever had before. So in conjunction with that, I kind of realized what was happening and I really kind of bought into it. And I think buying into yourself is a big thing too, right? Realizing that you can do things and to kind of compound that effect. I had really started to read a lot and, um, shout out to our family. Some of the first books that were ever recommended to me in the self-improvement world were because we used to do, um, some multi-level marketing, uh, way back in the day and in a, in, a, in a different company, which I didn't end up doing a great job personally. But what I learned was the power of community and the power of 
uh, reading, you know, to improve yourself. And so some of the first books I ever read were How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? The Dale Carnegie and um, uh, Think and Grow Rich, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, like all of those guys, which, you know, at the time were kind of putting out all the self-help books. But I really kind of doubled down on reading and trying to do self-improvement. And that helped, I, I think, my my self-image in a big way. And I've transitioned um, I've transitioned quite a bit. I think my style now, ref- I think my style tends to reflect the way that I'm looking at the world or the way that I'm looking at my life and going about doing it. You know, there was a time at which I was really like dressing up in a big way, three-piece suits, ties, like really the whole thing. But that was when I was in an environment where I was working for someone else and I was really trying to get that next level, right? And I wanted to dress for the job I didn't have, just like you hear people say, it was very true. And I kind of bought into that. And that worked really well for me. Now that I'm running my own thing, I feel a little bit more relaxed about some of the stuff that I'm doing. I feel a little bit more in control. And so I've I've become a little bit more casual, but now I know how and when to dress up the right way. So I kind of understand context in all of its, all of its many ways and how to continue, as I said, to use clothing as a tool uh, to make me belong in the room. I really like that. It's like decide which community you want to be a part of, decide what room you want to be a part of, and then figure out how you can be there because you're right. You truly can become whoever you want to be and fit in and thrive in whatever setting. And you just got to figure that out early. So now you get to create your own style and create that experience for uh, all of your clients. Yeah, which is a pretty cool thing. In fact, that's probably one of the coolest things that I appreciate about what I'm doing. Um, The ability to take that same feeling that I had a really long time ago and try to deliver that to somebody. And I think in a lot of cases, I think we do deliver that to somebody because of course what we do is, is I design clothing in much the same way you would imagine any designer does, right? They have ideas, they conceptualize it, put it to paper or whatever. Um, and something gets made right. And that's kind of the, the world of ready to wear something that's on a rack that you can buy that you just like, and you say, yeah, uh, the other thing that we do, which is a huge part of what we do and a reason that we get a lot of, you know, musicians or executives and celebrities come to us is that we do um, one-off custom, you know, bespoke tailored pieces. Uh, and this is kind of in the world of tailoring. So like red carpets, you know, the Grammys, things like that. People will come to us uh, because they want something that really just speaks to them and helps tell their story. Uh, or weddings. We do a lot of weddings for things like that. And now I think guys are paying more and more attention uh, to their style. They're realizing the women are not the only ones that can look really good that day. It is a special day. And I think it's important to realize that in the special moments of your life, it's worth it to to look the part, right? So let's talk a little bit about the first few years in business. What would you say was maybe a big hurdle along the first few years as you were just learning the ropes and getting started? Oh my started? God. Um, <laughs> Honestly, like there's, there's so many hurdles. I think people don't realize this was, I mean, this was a long time ago. I think that when I was doing this, I mean, it was, you know, seven, eight years ago that I first started to get into this business. And I don't think it was as cool then as it is now, because this kind of predates Instagram. And so I went into it and like the hustle is real, like what it takes to do it. Like I took all of the money and the savings, every single thing that I had from doing the real estate and the car sales and all this stuff. And I literally dumped it into this one idea. And that's a big risk to do. But 
I perhaps, you know, fortunately and unfortunately have only this one gear where I assume that it's going to work out. Even though I've failed a lot, I still like, that's the gear that I have. And so I just go all in. I'm like, screw it. Let's do it. Um, and so on one hand, that's a hurdle is the ability to accept the risk and to take the responsibility that comes with putting it all in, right? You know, realizing how much is on the line and then making sure that the work ethic and the hustle that you, that you are now bringing to the table uh, is relative to the risk, you know, that you just put in, you know? And so uh, the first couple of years I had worked hard before, but not really. The first couple of years I went into business for myself, that's when I really started to work hard and I had an appreciation for going like, shit, this is really hard. And so, and it was, you know, and so really late hours, you know, adjusting myself to that kind of schedule. Like there were days that we did 16, 17 hour work days, and then I'd have to go home and sleep for a couple hours, get up, go back, do it again. And that was like a year straight for the first year that we were doing that because we had, like I said, all of the money was on the line. We were burning through it fast because we were going through development and testing new factories and trying to figure out who was the tailoring team that was going to work with us. And, and all the stuff that goes into creating a business can be expensive sometimes, especially in ours in a product-based business. It was, it was really expensive. So seeing money fly out the door, trying to keep my head level and keep my brain from blowing up, like that was a big struggle. Um, you know, the other part, it, candidly, that's really hard when you go into business is trying as my wife and I were uh, getting married around the same time you know, and trying to keep us happy at the same time. It's a really hard thing to kind of sacrifice the time that you would otherwise spend with your partner in an office, you know, trying to build this thing, which is a great thing to do, but you have to realize how to try to balance those things. And I think for me, I was so excited about business. There were times that that was probably a big challenge for me is figuring out and understanding what does it take to balance those two things and kind of keep everything in your, in your life going well, finding a little bit of balance was, wasn't, and probably is still a challenge for me. I love that. The hustle is real. I've often said this, you know, you have what I want, but are you willing to do what I've done? For and sure. people see the, the success now, seven, eight years in, but as they say, what the 10 year overnight success, <laughs> there's 10 yeah. years of grind that went into that. And it certainly sounds like that for you. Um, I want to ask about the, the relationship because I know a lot of our listeners are building a business or they're doing, you know, they've got a side hustle. They're doing something because they know they want more out of their life, but yet they do often wonder, does that mean I have to sacrifice my family or relationships? What is something that you guys learned throughout that time, knowing that both truly are important? Well, I think so. First of all, I think the, the big thing for people to understand, and I can kind of say this from experience, is to realize that if you are going to make this decision to kind of be an entrepreneur or chase your dream, it will be hard. You won't find a way to make everything peachy and perfect the entire time. So I, I think accepting uh, together, having those conversations ahead of time that it's going to be a hard thing to do, I think could be really important because then you are um, both mutually agreeing and understanding and setting an expectation for the fact that things will get kind of hard and then making sure that you keep an open, clear line of communication between the two of you and honest dialogue about when things are a challenge. Um, because one of the, the worst things that you can do is experience a problem um, 
but then have a lack of communication about it, as opposed to kind of keeping that open, honest dialogue uh, ongoing uh, so that a problem doesn't happen and then just compound itself. And you keep it to yourself because maybe one person's working too late and the other feels kind of left out or feels neglected or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever like the situation is, I think if it's talked about early and often, then the other person has a chance to make sure that they understand how one another is feeling. And I saw so dialogue is such a huge thing, right? The ability to kind of communicate with each other, I, I think is massive. And I've met a lot of other couples um, who have become entrepreneurs and stuff like that too. And that, that seems to be, that seems to be a common issue is that someone just thinks that they're working their ass off and things are great because they're doing that. Yet their expectation was that the partner at home also thinks that, but meanwhile, maybe they don't realize that they might be neglecting what should be a more balanced lifestyle, you know, where, you know, it's give and take and compromise. I mean, just like they say marriage is going to be, I think compromise is a huge thing. Yeah, let's sacrifice for this, but let's create some borders and barriers around what that means so that we can make sure that we still have a relationship, allowing those two things to be separate. And my wife and I work together too. And so that can be a challenge as well. Like if you work together all day in this business and you go home, you know that business goes home with you and it does for us. And so it's really hard for me to turn off that switch and stop talking about business. But I actively am trying to engage in the ability to turn that off. Uh, and I'm not always the best at it, but I'm trying. You know what I mean? I'm trying to get better and better and better at that. And I think that's the going back to the point of saying, realize that it is a challenge. If you want to go down that path of doing something incredible and trying to create a legacy, that it's really tough, you know. Yeah, I like that. I mean, communication, expectations. And then I remember when Brandon and I were a couple things. It makes me think of, we always say there's seasons, you know, there's seasons of craziness. And But when you're an entrepreneur, it can be a season uh, for a decade. And yeah. so you're kind of running at both ends. You're a weekend warrior. You're doing all the things for your business because you're just launching it off the ground. So having those expectations to have some shutoff times. I remember when we were first working our business, Brandon would work until midnight, just to do it on the computer. Mm -hmm. And it was okay. It was fine. That was our goal. But there were times where I'd say, hey, can you come hang out with me now? And I remember he did. And because he did, when I asked him to, I didn't have that built up resentment. And when he needed to work and when I needed to work, we both were okay with that. So, but I do think it takes some practice and building some muscle, but it also sounds like you have like a vision together. It's not just your vision. It's a vision that you have together and you've communicated about that before you even started. Right. Yeah, we have. And I, I think that Actually, this is another good point. I think visions can change, right? I think it's really important to kind of have a goal, um, but the ability to adapt to new circumstances, the ability to adapt to new surroundings, new situations is really important as a couple. You know, it's it's one thing to have a shared vision, but to to both understand that as things happen, that that can kind of shift and change a little bit. And And that, again, goes back to keeping an open dialogue about, hey, well, in revisiting what your goals are as a couple too, like we talked about this five years ago, but is this, do we both still think it's supposed to go this direction? Um, because maybe it isn't, you know? And so I think it's important to kind of review, just as you would review your own goals, review those same uh, goals as a couple as well. 
Now you've shared a highlight moments or turning points along your journey. Are there any other big growth areas or aha moments that you think kind of leveled you up along your journey? Yeah, there's so many. And I got to say, I think one of the biggest things that, okay, so there's, there's a few, right? So I think the first time that I had an opportunity, the first few times that I did people's uh, weddings, I thought was amazing. I had, I, I realized how important a wedding is. So it is not lost on me how big of an opportunity I have to play a part in someone's life, to play a part in this, this pivotal, you know, epic moment of their life. But they're coming to me, trusting me, some random guy that they heard about to literally make them look the best that they can and to kind of instill confidence in them. And I just think that that's one of the most amazing opportunities I have is to kind of play that part for people. Um, and every time that I get a chance to do that, I feel like it's a level up because I mean, I, then I, I, I like, it's like a goosebump thing. Like I think about all these people, like I've really made a difference to them, you know, like there's no way that they weren't thinking about me, you know, <laughs> in a way, like when they're getting dressed, they're like, Oh, Josh, that's my dude, man. I'm so glad I look like a boss right now. But like, I think that that's so fun that I have that opportunity to do that. And that's a big thing for me that I look forward to every single time I see that we have a wedding client. But um, some of the bigger moments that are kind of level ups for me have everything to do with the people that are around me and the people that I'm working with, right? So I really, really believe that I'm only as good as uh, the people around me, right? The people that I've impacted enough that they uh, want to continue to kind of communicate and be around me as well. I, I, I heard it from someone, I don't know what it was, but measure yourself by the number of people that measure themselves by you which is really interesting to think about, you know, how many people um, when they talk about how good they're doing, say, I know so-and-so, you know, but like, that's an amazing thing. Like, are you making enough impact to do that? But I think about the people that I've had a chance to, to kind of interact with and kind of bring into my circle. And we've got some pretty incredible people. There's Lewis Howes that I mentioned uh, before is one of the most incredible and authentic people that I know who's doing some really, really incredible things with his podcast and his business. Um, love him. I, I thought getting introduced to him from a mutual friend uh, who thought that we shared a lot of stuff in common was, was a really cool thing. But then as I got to know him, realizing what an amazing opportunity it was for me to make friends with someone who's doing huge things in the world, um, leveled me up in a massive way. You know, once you kind of become a part of someone else's uh, network, that in a sense becomes your network as well. And so then it's up to you to say, okay, how do I provide value? And I think that question forces you to say, okay, I may have provided enough value to get where I'm at now, but this is now a new type of value that I need to provide if I want to kind of exist on this new platform. And that's something that I've always looked to do is continue to surround myself with new and amazing people who are doing great things because it forces me to say, okay, I need to get better and I need to get better. I need to provide more and more value uh, every single step of the way. It's interesting to think about. We truly are like the five people we hang around. And if we want to level up ourselves, then we do need to level up our network. And I like what you said about adding value. You're not necessarily just saying, hey, come be my friend. What can you give me? When we've talked before, you've shared with me several, several ways that you've gone above and beyond when meeting these either celebrities or mutual friends and adding value to them. Can you tell us what that means for you and how you're able to add value to your next level network? 
Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think this has so many parallels with um, the business that you guys are in and that your audience is in as well and your team is in. I mean, for example, I mean, like if I'll tell my story about like some examples, but like just think of the, the, the core premise of this for a second is we as individuals are always looking for attention and respect from the people around us. We especially would like the attention of the people that we respect or that we aspire to kind of hang out with, but you can't just have it for no reason, right? These are, these are busy people. They're doing incredible things. Even your customers, you want them to respect you. You want them to give you their money. Well, what are you doing for them? I mean, really like what is the value that you're providing to them? And I think that's an important question to be honest with yourself is so like, what am I good at? What can I really do for these folks? And sometimes thinking outside of the box will help with that. Um, but then also realizing the tools that you have at your disposal. So if I go back to me and I, and I look at like, a, let's say a case study of how I've kind of implemented that into my own life, I'll keep, <laughs> we're gonna keep talking about Lewis and give him a shout out. School of Greatness podcast, by the way, if you guys get a chance to check that out, I highly recommend it. Um, or any of his books that he's put out. Speaking of which, Lewis, uh, I met through a mutual friend uh, named DJ Irie, uh, who is the DJ for the Miami Heat. And so Irie is this incredible entertainer. He's, he's a magnetic personality. People love this guy. Um, he hadn't done a lot of media, though. I got turned on to Lewis's podcast by another friend who's a podcaster, John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. He said, you should check out Lewis. I took a course of his a while back. He's a good guy. He knows what he's doing. He's making big moves right now. I was like, cool, I'll listen to it. I listened to two or three episodes. And like the fourth episode I listened to, my buddy, DJ Irie, is on it. And I was like, the hell? I was like, this is like so random. These are worlds colliding, you know? And so I listened to it. And um, Lewis, had, uh, he, he did such an incredible job of kind of digging into to Irie's life in a way that um, I had never uh, heard you know uh, he was telling stories that I had never really heard about and I thought that that was great here's a guy that I had known for a long time um, and I'm learning stuff you know but I realized how powerful Lewis was his ability to kind of ask probing questions and keep the conversation really relaxed and, and enjoyable and I really I really dug that I thought it was cool so later um, I hit up Irie I said hey man how was how was that interview with with Lewis it seemed like it was fun is he a good guy blah blah, blah whatever and he's like Oh man, Lewis is the man. You got to meet him. He'll love you. You guys got stuff in common. Boom, boom, boom. So he makes a connection. Lewis and I eventually link up um, for lunch. I think it was in LA. We met very briefly. And there was another time that we linked very briefly in uh, New York. Like we seen a movie, just random, you know, hanging out like you would with somebody. At, that, at those points, I wasn't asking for anything. I didn't see my window to provide value yet. And I think this is an important thing too. You're going to meet people in your journey that you want to deeply associate with. You might not get the opportunity to provide value until a year later or six months later or whatever. That doesn't mean that that relationship isn't going to happen with you. You have to have patience and realize that things just take time, right? And so I kind of just, I just hung out with Lewis and we kicked it and kept it cool and kept it casual. Uh, eventually though, he put out his first book, uh, the school of greatness, and he had Chicago on a list of tour stops that he was doing book signings, uh, kind of with his audience. So I reached out, I said, um, well, Hey, what are you doing while you're in town? He's like, well, I'm just doing a signing. And I was like, well, that won't do. And so 
me being in Chicago for quite a number of years and doing what I do in fashion, we had made a lot of connections in local media and tastemakers, influencers and things like that. So I reached out to some friends in the press world and set up um, a bunch of interviews. And another friend of mine, Chantel Luxem, she runs a PR agency. Uh, she used to work for Oprah and has killer contacts. And she kind of helped me tag team a couple of these press outlets and we set up a radio interview and this like web TV interview and two of like the huge uh, news stations. And then another morning talk show who the host of which has been my client for like five years brought them in too. And so that was where I was able to provide value and it actually didn't have anything to do with clothing, which was interesting. So sometimes you have tools that you don't realize the network, the, the people that you've gotten to know over the years uh, can sometimes provide unexpected value to you. And so that was kind of how I had paid it forward to Lewis in a way um, that he didn't ask for, but that I recognize this is a responsibility that I have to do this for this guy who I'm looking up to and provide value so that he can make a bigger impact while he's here. And um, obviously he was very appreciative of that. And we kind of allowed us to kind of become better and better friends. And he since put out a second book. We did the same thing and uh, collaborated on and eventually uh, a few garments and stuff like that so we did a tuxedo for jules huff's wedding um that he like split the pants for uh, i think doing dancing or something i don't remember what it was that he said he was doing but he's an incredible salsa dancer um but we did that and we've done a gala through pencils of promise in new york before and met incredible people like gary vaynerchuk um and some other people like that out there so yeah, so providing value. I mean, that was that was an example of how did I look at a situation and provide value. And that's what I'm always doing when I'm meeting people that I want to do it no matter what, no matter who they are, because you don't know how you can make an impact on somebody or who they know or whatever. So always be looking to provide value. But when it is someone that you feel like this is good for my life, like this is the kind of person that I really want to associate with them, I dig what they're doing. I think that's when you got to think outside of the box, be patient and say, let me just let me do something for this person and just let it be, you know, and, and they won't always want to be best friends with you. And you have to realize that that's okay too. You know, not everybody's meant to, you know, meant to fall in love. I think it's an amazing <laughs> way to live life, to have your eyes wide open, really thinking, looking, how can I help? How can I add value? How can I use what I have to help them with what they're doing because we know that that comes full circle. And I know when you invested in Lewis's life and, and his business and you were able to build his network through the connections that you had, he has been able to introduce you to other people. And it's just kind of this, this flowing thing when your eyes are open and you're adding value, people will naturally want to give back to you and whether they do or not, isn't even the point. And I love that. And I think most of us, are living in a world where we say, what can you do for me? And I love that you are living in a world that says, what can I do Absolutely. for others? So one other question yeah. about in up-leveling your network, you know, when we build our networks or we want to hang out with different people who are maybe in the same genre as us, or they have done what we want to do and we want to learn from them and we want to gain mentors, etc. Have you had do you have any um, wisdom for the friends that maybe we leave behind or maybe even the family that we leave behind? How have you kind of negotiated that? Yeah. Do you mean kind of in terms of how do, 
let's say, for example, you had been spending a lot of time with one person or whatever. And now as let's say you're growing as a human or your career is growing, they might not fit into the picture the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I do. I know. I know that sometimes we can feel guilty for success of leaving people behind or they can make us feel guilty. And it's just an interesting space to be in when Mm -hmm. we know we want to continue to grow, but yet not everybody is on our same path. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's, that is a challenge. That's probably one of the biggest challenges that you'll face, especially if you're somebody who, you know, has, uh, empathy, you know, and cares about the people around you. I think the important thing to realize is that just because some, just because you might not have the opportunity or let's face it, even the desire to spend as much time with somebody as you used to doesn't mean that they matter less to you. Right. I think that, and I think you can go about this in a few different ways. I mean, I think you know, if if it's your personality to have a conversation with them, it depends. I mean, so there's the kind of people that you need to cut from your life, you know, that sometimes needs a conversation. Um, if, especially if they're not letting go, like, and I mean, like maybe there's a relationship that's toxic or someone that really isn't truly like is not helping you at all. You you just got to take responsibility, uh, for yourself, you know, and say, you know what, I'm sorry. Like, I feel like we're maybe not going in, the same direction right now and you got to cut it off and that that would be hard that's like you know breaking up with a girlfriend or something that would be a hard conversation to have but there's also a lot of people who um aren't doing anything bad and maybe they're living a life that they uh that they love themselves that's completely respectable but it is just in fact a different path than yours um i think that what you have to do is realize that they're of no less value because you're spending a little bit less time with them. You know, if that person feels like if they want to call it out and say, you're not spending as much time with them, then sit down and have a conversation with them. Talk to them about what your goals are and what you're moving towards and and how much time that's taking up for you. Um, But then in doing that, realize, okay, well, if I'm spending less time with this person, how can I make the times that I am with them a little bit more meaningful? And that's something I think you should kind of always ask yourself anyways, is that's just a matter of mindfulness, right? And being present in the moment, you know, like we're so sucked in through social media. I think social media is kind of killing us uh, is because we're not practicing any kind of mindfulness at all, or we're not being present. But I think if you can consciously and, and intentionally practice mindfulness with the people around you being more present in a situation, you're going to find that even if you're spending less time with people, but if it's better time, then it doesn't matter. It'll be fine. I don't know. I don't think it's as hard as people would realize. Like, I think guilt because of success is a toxic thing to feel. I think you need to just wipe it clear from your head and realize that you have, you have a responsibility to succeed, right? Because there's only one you. There's only the things that you are going to do if you really go after them. You're the only one that can do them. Even if you think other people in other industries have done it before, they haven't done it the way that you can, Right. And so I think you owe it to yourself and I think you owe it to your friends around you to take the messy action to just make it happen, right? You know, grit down and, and, and become something because then they get an opportunity to be inspired through your actions as well. And so that's kind of, I look at myself as saying, I have the responsibility to be the best person that I can be, not only for my family and the people around me, but the people I've impacted so that it goes back to what I said 
I want them to, to an extent, measure themselves by the fact that they know me. And that, like, okay. I like, I, I want to say that and not have it sound like conceited, but you kind of get what I'm saying, right? Like they look up to you because you're out there making an impact. And I think that's a good responsibility to have. Absolutely. Well, and you think if, you know, who are the five people you hang around or intentional about that? I want to be who somebody's five person. Like I want to be somebody that they would say, I want you to, you know what I mean? Right, I right, totally right. get it. <laughs> right. And how powerful is that? Right. Like, if, yeah. you know, like just as a goal, like as an ongoing goal to be that kind of person, I think that's really powerful. And I think it has the ability to, to drive your actions uh, in a really meaningful way. So I want to talk a bit about fashion. Um, I know that you've had several projects and you've launched and you've done a lot of things over the years. So what is your next big fashion goal with your business? Man, uh, so there's there's a couple things. So right now what we're doing with our business is, here's the funny thing about business too. It's really messy, guys. Um, I need you to realize that. Like you look at the people you aspire to and you think that everything is like roses and diamonds and that they have, you know, G wagons being given to them and everything is awesome. Like it's not, it's really hard. It's messy all the time. And we're kind of experiencing this right now where we have like this great revenue and we're growing. We have a ton of referrals. We have celebrity clients, like things from outside perspective look really rosy. Um, right now we're kind of battling to create more processes around our business. This is some of the stuff that's not exciting. It's not romantic. These are the things that, you know, like, Gary V always does segments on this where Gary talks about like, oh, you want to be an entrepreneur? Like it's cool now, but like you don't realize like what it takes. Like I guarantee you're not working as hard as me or doing the stuff that isn't sexy. Everyone wants to do the stuff that's sexy and post about it on Instagram saying hustle hard, hashtag whatever, you know, like being a business is really tough. And so we're trying to create processes right now for all the stuff that we do so that we can start to scale out the business that we're doing. And so we want to scale in a couple different ways. We want to scale the stuff that we do that is custom. So the one-off uh, bespoke pieces, like when we have an executive or a wedding or celebrity come in for red carpets, that's hard because the very nature of something being custom means that that would be hard to scale. And so we're creating processes for those, but we believe if we can do it in a good way where we can maintain the intimate relationships we have with our clients, um, we could do some serious damage in the market. And so we're looking at that as one goal. Um, so that's the non-sexy goal, um, but that's what kind of fuels the business. The other part that is really exciting though is the past two years since I went off on my own, I started designing, um, I started taking the things that always existed in my head and started committing them to paper and started hiring pattern makers and sourcing agents and uh, started working with more factories to start to develop prototypes and samples of these things. And, and so this is now my collection. So on one hand, we've always had a shop where people could come in, they could lean on me a little bit, or it was kind of collaborative. They would come in and say, I have these ideas. They were bringing something to the table saying, this is what I want. Me now creating ready to wear says, this is who I am. And I'm going to put it out. This completely embodies my idea of how you should dress and how I think you should live your life. And I think that's a big risk to put something like that on the rack and say, buy it or don't, you know what I mean? Like this is me. And so the challenge, the fear is that if I put it on the rack and no one buys it, then no one's saying yes to me. Right. And that's scary. But if they do, then that's pretty incredible. I think that gives you a lot of confidence and gives you life. And so 
uh, a big goal is to finish up the development of this new line that I've created and uh, and launch it and put it out. And that's what's going to happen this year. We're going to drip out pieces from this new collection kind of over six months to a year and uh, and just teach people about them, show them what went into it, show them why we did it. You know, we we really believe in doing more with less. I don't want my guys to own a bunch of crap. I think that they should buy fewer things, but better things. And I think that kind of is the way that I live my life too. I think not enough people travel yet. I've traveled all over the world for very cheap. Um, you know, I think life isn't as hard as I think you're making it people. Like, I think there's good ways that you can do this, but, um, but anyways, like those are the goals, release the ready to wear collection, put, myself out to the world you know that's a practice and vulnerability uh, hopefully that goes well so we'll have to do a follow-up episode to let you know how it went and then also to start to scale the business out so that we have the revenue uh, and the money so that i can keep perpetuating these ideas out into the world amazing i love those goals and i you know it's interesting you think about scaling basically it's like what needs to be me and what can i teach someone else to do and we all get to that place where we're bursting at the seams with work. This is a high class problem, right? And we need to figure out a way that we can release our time and energy so we can do what makes us tick and then yeah. kind of outsource the rest. So I think that when you really are able to have those processes in place, you're just going to thrive because you're already doing what you love. And to be able to do that 100% is going to be super fun for you. Yeah, for sure. But I also think you're right. And and anything in order to, I don't know, get to the other side of success or whatever, there's an element of showing yourself, showing who you are, being vulnerable, taking that risk. And people either say yes or no. Um, But it sounds like you've had a chance. You've failed in your life before. You've put yourself out there. What are some things you've learned about this, the risk taking or the vulnerability side of being an entrepreneur? I think the biggest thing is that, I don't know, I mean, recognizing that at the other side of, the biggest thing that everyone is scared of is failing, right? What are people going to think of me? Like, what if I lose my money and all these things? And um, and for our, when Tim wrote uh, for our work week, Tim Ferriss, he talked about, um, he talked about what's the worst that could happen, right? You know, he had this, he had this vision in his head, uh, of what would happen if he set up some processes in his business and just left the country for six months or a year, whatever it was. And he had this vision in his head that he would be in a, some small town of England or London or whatever it was. And it would be raining and he wouldn't have an umbrella and he would lose all of his money because he got a call that the business shut down. And then he in the rain would bend down to pet a poor dog, but the dog would bite him. And like, then he's like, he's like, even if that happened on a scale of one to 10, you know, one being not that bad, 10 being I'm dead, that's still only like a two, right? You know, realizing I think that the other side of failure is probably not, probably not a life altering thing, right? You know, being open to take the risk because you realize that realistically only good things can come from it. One of my biggest fears is regret, right? Like I don't want to be at the end of my life and feel like I didn't do something um, that I was supposed to, you know, or didn't do something that I could have. Being an entrepreneur is inherently 
taking a risk and putting yourself out there, but asking yourself the question, what's the worst that can happen? A lot of times we catastrophize it in our mind and we think our world's going to be over. And, you know, I don't even know what, what really could happen. That would be the worst. But if you think about it, most of the time when you put yourself out there, nothing bad happens. Yeah. Uh, and I think I like that. What's the worst that could happen? And even if it did happen, how bad is it really? Yeah. I will say this to that point though, is that I, my, this weird speed that I have, which is all or nothing, you know, dropped out of college, put all my money into something like, like everything is at risk. Like the whole basket is at risk all the time with me. I don't, I won't say that I necessarily recommend that for everyone. If you feel like you're the kind of person that requires that because otherwise like you'll, you'll rest or you'll sit back or maybe you'll get lazy, then sure, maybe. But I think that there's some smarter ways to go about doing it too. That just happens to be my speed. Don't adopt it just because I said to. Um, I think that there's ways to think about the things that are most important in your life, identify what those are, make sure that you're taking care of those responsibilities as well as the people um, who you support right? You know, take care of the people that are around you, take care of your main responsibilities. Uh, but go for it, you know, stop being scared and just and just do it even and starting part time is not a bad thing. Don't be scared to do something part time. Because I don't know, like, full time is not all it's made up to be, you know what I mean? Like, if you decide to go full time, you're going to be where I was where you're like, damn, this is really hard. Like, this is really tough. Only do that when you're ready. But you have to whet your appetite first. And so if part time is a way to start, then then do it. Point being, take the risk, just do it. If you think about it when you wake up, if you think about it when you go to bed, you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And your biggest fear is fear of rejection or fear of um, regret, which I think is yeah. probably a po more powerful motivator than um, a lot of us are have that fear of rejection. And that in itself is not even true because we like to say, Rejection is a myth, right? If you didn't have a sale before and you don't have a sale now, nothing has changed. So yeah. just throw that right. one right off the table. <laughs> right, right. So a couple more questions for you. Who are your yeah. current uh, mentors now? Like who influences you now? Who would you say are the people you look up to? So some of my mentors are people that I have direct contact with sometimes very often, sometimes maybe only a couple times a year. And there's some people that I'm really not in contact with a lot. Um, someone who's in my industry that I respect. There's two guys that are in my industry that I really respect uh, what they're doing that I haven't met. Uh, we have mutual friends and stuff, but the connection just hasn't happened yet. But they're two young designers that are just really crushing it. They're constantly coming up with the most amazing ideas. Uh, they've surrounded themselves with incredible teams. I think just everything that they're doing just seems like gold from what I can tell. And I realize that their business is probably messy on the inside, just like mine is but I just love what they're doing. So one guy, his name's Mike Amiri. He's out of uh, Los Angeles. Him and his team have grown their brand Amiri uh, to an, an alarming amount just in like three or four years. But I think what he's doing is, is perfect. It speaks to me. I love it. So that's one guy that I'm constantly paying attention to, kind of looking up to and kind of along the same lines, um, but for different reasons, uh, Virgil Abloh, uh, is a Chicago kid. Uh, he's now, he's a man now he's an adult, but Virgil came out of Chicago, um, uh, and shares a lot of mutual friends with me and I haven't met him, but he's, I look up to him because one of my other fears is being typecast as one thing. 
right? And and I experienced that for a little bit. And it's one of the one of the driving things for me to kind of get out of my fear zone. So I sat on some of the designs that I had for our collection for a long time because I just thought, you know what, I'll get to it. I'll eventually start doing this. Maybe now is not the time. We gotta pay bills. The suits are what is what's doing that. And I became, before I knew it, the suit guy in Chicago. And is as endearing as that is that people liked that, it drove me nuts because I'm like, wait, you guys don't understand. Like, I have all this other stuff, but who could I blame that they didn't know that? It's in my book and I'm not talking about it, right? You know, like I had to put it out there for the world to see. But Virgil, uh, who was Kanye West's creative director, um, he went to school before that for architecture and now he started his line. He First, he started uh, Pyrex, which was incredible. He basically just took t-shirts printed pyrex on them and sold them on like ebay and stuff for like hundreds of dollars i don't know how it worked but it did um he's really tapped into the culture and then also he just uh in the past couple years created a brand called off-white which is blown up it's one of the biggest streetwear brands uh in the world but virgil has continuously uh collaborated with really unique individuals he's he's never allowed himself to be typecast he's never just one thing. And I think the way that he's kind of gone about creating his uh, career and the way that he's kind of shifted his momentum and adapted to new and changing environments in the market is incredible. And so I aspire to kind of do similar things that he's doing. So I'm not uh, getting pigeonholed into into just being one thing. Those are guys that I'm not connected with too, but I kind of aspire to and I kind of look at them as outside mentors. Um, then you have guys like Lewis, who we've talked about um, who is someone that I talk to pretty often, who's just doing some really incredible things. Um, and I kind of, I, I look at how he's set up a process and a system for his life. He's, he's very dedicated in the work that he does. Um, he cares very deeply about it and he, he does a lot of things like he practices meditation. Um, he's just got his stuff together, you know? And so I kind of look at, somebody like that as, as someone that I could model my life after. And because I do have a more intimate relationship with him as a close friend, it allows me to kind of see how he's really, you know, functioning in his life and building his business and building his own network and so on and so forth. And um, another one that uh, I, I really like, uh, I only talk, this is a friend that I met a long time ago. Uh, his name's Chad Veach and he is the pastor of Zoe church. Um, and Chad is just, one of the most full of life dudes that you would ever meet. Like when I first met him, this dude's like, this dude is known by his smile. Like he's got like the biggest mouth and he smiles and he just uses all of it. And so people love him. Uh, I mean, truly they really love him, but he's such an enthusiastic uh, and really articulate speaker. So he, he runs the church, like I said, and he's the lead pastor, but the way that he continuously comes up with new stories, just constantly, um, impresses me. I mean, the ability kind of like to, to, to take what he reads in scripture and turn it into something, um, that he can communicate to a largely youth audience, um, and not youth like kids, but you know, me 35 and under teens, twenties, kids like that. And he's kind of taken something that for, I think a lot of people in my generation and younger who it's a little bit harder to pay attention to because their, their, their attention span is so short and he's kind of turned it into these incredible stories and he's using, he's using current humor, uh, as a way to tell those stories. And he's also, he's incredibly fashionable and he uses his style as a way to communicate as well. He uses style as a tool just like I did. Um, 
but I just think that what he does is really incredible. And particularly as a, as a speaker, because being a speaker was something I always wanted to do. I'm constantly inspired by just how much better he keeps getting. And I just think that that's amazing, you know? Um, and we talk a couple times a, a year, but he's constantly uh, letting me know just, Hey, thinking about you, hope you're doing well, you know? And I think that's cool to have someone who's doing incredible things to, to reach out and tell you that. Which, if, if I may, if you feel like, no matter where you are in your life, try to recognize when someone looks up to you. Those are really important relationships because that's your opportunity to be a teacher. It's your opportunity to set an example for them. And don't underestimate how important it is to just occasionally reach out and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I hope that you're doing good right now. Or if you know what they're doing, and say, I think you're doing a great job right now. I think that is, that is such a powerful and uh, overlooked thing that not enough people do. I love that. Uh, you know, I really appreciate that your mentors can be friends. They can also be people you aspire to be or to be around. And then they're also people you've learned from. Um, it doesn't have to be somebody you're with even every week necessarily to be somebody that has an influence in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So two more questions for you. I want to know how yeah. you stay motivated because be we know that being an entrepreneur is gr a grind, right? It is a hustle and it would be easier to watch mm -hmm. Netflix. So what keeps you going? All right. So first of all, I am not good at not watching Netflix. Um, I, I've seen every movie, like every movie that comes out in the theater. And this is just kind of one of my guilty pleasures. I mean, I think the trick is not to give into all of them, right? You know, but one of my guilty pleasures is movies and, and I see every movie that comes out. And so I love movies. Uh, first of all, I just want to say that I'm, I'm far from perfect. Uh, motivation is a weird thing for me. I think sometimes, um, sometimes my ways to get motivated are a little bit more kind of surface level, uh, you know, borderline superficial. Like I, I, I actually do what I'm not supposed to do. Sometimes you're not supposed to get, as a creative, you're not supposed to get motivated by looking at what other people are doing. I look at what other designers and people are doing, not as a method to fuel my creativity, but to be motivated to say, wow, look what they've done. Like, look how beautiful this is. These guys can read the same books that I can, right? These guys can go say hi to the same people that I can. They can hire the same people that maybe I could eventually, right? But here they are, they're doing it. And so that's really motivating to me because I know that like, we're all just people, right? Like we're all just humans. And truly like, that's one of the Warren Buffett said, like, I read the same books that that guy can, but I'm worth, you know, a gazillion dollars. Like <laughs> you can learn anything you want to. So I get motivation through looking at what people um, that are in my industry or other industries or people that I aspire to be like are doing because I, I just like to follow them. Um, and some of the other stuff goes back to what I said about, you know, the fear of, of, of regret saying like the, the, it's a very real realization that I have that like I've got kind of one chance here, right? Life's really, really short. And I think if you kind of step back once in a while and birthdays fly by and you're like, holy crap, like I'm 32 right now. Me sometimes realizing that I had ideas that I wanted to do that I came up with when I was 21 or 22 or 24, or even the year before, if I see that I still haven't done those. And sometimes that's a, mat sometimes that's a matter of just it, the timing wasn't right and maybe the priority wasn't there and you were handling something else. But sometimes I don't do things just because just because it's hard and that we're humans and we kind of put it on the back burner because we get scared. 
I like to sit down and review the things that I haven't done and try to have a real conversation with myself to be like, bro, like, are we going to get motivated to do this or not? Like, how scary is it that life could end tomorrow and you didn't even try this? You know, if my biggest thing that I want to do is leave an impact and build a legacy, then not doing something is the number one thing that would mess that up for me, right? And so that's kind of what gets me motivated. There's like the really deep kind of emotional thing like, oh, the clock is ticking, bro. And then the other thing is just, I I think reading is still great, but then looking at, you know, what some other people are doing, um, you know, and trying to like kind of pull energy from that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, One last question before we give everybody your social media links and how they can find you and continue to learn more. Um, But I want to know what is one thing that you do every day that you couldn't live without? Oh, dude. All right. So I'm going to tell you that it is eating donuts. Um, (laughs) I seriously have a donut like once a day. And I think my wife and my friends and everyone pretty much hates me because I stay pretty lean and they don't really understand like how it's possible. Um, but the only thing I can think is that that's what God made me for is to eat donuts and be fine with that. So I actually really, really love donuts. And so that's why I eat one every day. That's really funny. But that is one thing. Here's a question. Does it need to be something that is like motivational or feel good or can it be just like guilty pleasures? It can be. Well, there's a reason you have a donut every day. You know, you're working hard. You've got your attitude. It's because I have a sickness. It's what I, <laughs> <laughs> like that's your release. Hey, you're allowed. <laughs> that's that's right. That's what it is. Uh there's there's plenty of other really bad things that I could do instead. So the donut exactly. I, I chalk it up to to being a good decision. <laughs> Anything a part of, of like your success habits that's a consistent thing for you? Yes. In fact, it is, I have a bit of a, I don't want to, it's not as structured as it used to be um, now as I've gotten busier. But one of the things that I always do every single day is sit down and consciously and intentionally uh, connect with people. People that I know, make sure that not too much time has passed since I've spoken with someone. And that kind of goes back to that idea of even reaching out and saying like, Dude, I was thinking about you. I just hope things are good right now. Let me know if I can ever do anything for you. Um, that's something that I have always done. I've been really big on it ever since I started uh, back in the automotive industry, you know, 10, 12 years ago, whatever it was now. Um, it's like 14 years ago. But always reaching back out to people, staying connected, realizing the importance of my network and, and kind of understanding that like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a motivated human being and I hustle but I really wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for all those people that believed in me. So, you know, no matter what stage it was that they were. So staying connected with people, that's something that I do every single day consciously. Awesome. All right. So where can people find more of you? All right. So if you want to keep up with me, one of the best uh, mediums, one of the best forums for that right now is Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, all of the social medias at Josh Kircher, J-O-S-H-K-E-R-C-H-E-R, which I'm sure you'll have tagged up. Um, Instagram's probably the one, one of the more entertaining ways to follow me. You will see, we don't have a dedicated account just for the clothing yet. So, so my account is me. It's a, it's a mixture of behind the scenes of how we're building out our retail store and uh, the things that I'm going through, new designs, clients and stuff, celebrities, red carpets, like a lot of really cool stuff. But on my story, 
um, that's where I kind of practice my, that's, that was my first practice in vulnerability for the business. I'm constantly going on there talking about like, dude, here's what I'm trying to do right now. I don't think it's working. This is really hard. Uh, and, and then I ask you to, to communicate with me, to, to give me feedback. So we've got a, a decent following on Instagram there and we get a lot of people that reach out to us and, and that I very openly have dialogues with. And, and I think that's fun and that kind of keeps me motivated as well. So Instagram's a good one. Check me out there. Awesome. Or if you want to check out our website too, if you happen to be in the Chicago area uh, and you want to check out our showroom, I would gladly invite you to do that. I would check out uh, the same name, joshkircher.com. You'll have all of our address info. You can even uh, book an appointment if you want to come buy something or have me design something for you. All right. All right. Um, so we will definitely have all of Josh's links in the show notes and in the description below. And before we close today, Josh, I just want to affirm you. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Josh is Brandon's cousin. So he is, a f- I'm, well, I guess I'm a family like married in. I'm a married in family cousin. Um, and Josh, we've seen you at weddings and family events throughout the years. And what I have noticed so much about you and your journey is the growth that you have experienced over the past few years. I mean, you don't come back to a family event the same way you were the year prior. And as Jim Rohn says, success is not really about the destination. It's about the person you become in the process. And I have seen you grow, Holly grow, um, just open, fun, friendly, loving. You guys just exude this like peaceful joy, like that knows where they're going. If you know what I mean? It's like the pursuit of, um, of your mission but you're doing it with your eyes wide open and your heart wide open. And so I just want to say congratulations to you, to Holly, for all of your success thus far. And I know that this is just the beginning for you. And I'm really excited to, to see it happen. So congratulations. That is amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And, and honestly, the same goes to you too. Uh, I think we've been to so many family gatherings and although like, we're together so quick and, you know, none of our conversations are able to kind of go very deep at surface level. But what I did know, you guys were finding success well before I ever was. And so I kind of seen you guys and was, was always amazed at like what you've created and what you've done because you were doing it in an industry that I had previously failed in. And so I was like, I didn't know any real person could actually do that. This is, this is outrageous. Like, I don't even know what's happening. And so you guys were kind of shining uh, beacons in the family kind of floating on a cloud. So I think I always looked up to you guys. And I think that what you've done is amazing. I think that what you've done in creating a, a culture and a community with your team is is something really special and to be proud of as well. And, and I think the entire family still looks at you guys as the, as the shining beacon, the ones to look oh, up to. Oh, you're on the cloud with us now, Josh. <laughs> All right. I'll be up there. I'll dress everybody up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your fashion and entrepreneurial wisdom with us. We so appreciate it. And to our listeners, definitely check out Josh if you are in the Chicago area or if you need anything custom made, he is your guy. Thanks again. And remember to dream big. Thank you so much for listening today. Head over to denisewalsh.com. Enter your email to subscribe to our list. And I'll be sending out an early bird special coupon. 50% off, in fact, of the Dream Life Workbook when it is launched in just a few months. So if you want to have first dibs, let's get your name on that list. 
Thanks again. I so appreciate you. And remember to dream big. 